Broadcasting live from the middle of America, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Covering local market data, news, and reports to arm you with information you need to empower your investing and strengthen your American rights. Top Realtor, investor, husband, father, and veteran. Here is your host, Landon Witt. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit OKCRealEstateShow.com. Welcome to episode 57 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, we talk about tiny homes, often called accessory dwelling units or ADUs, as mainstream media is reported on. Tiny homes may seem like they don't really have any significance in our market today, but they actually have large implications for the future in a time when rent and home prices keep continually rising and we're not really seeing all that much matching growth and wage increases. That leads us to an affordability crisis. The answer could quite possibly be a tiny home. We attended the grand opening ceremony of a local institution here called Pivot, which is part of a outreach to homeless teens, which they're solving those issues by creating tiny homes and allowing those teenagers to then live in those tiny homes. We'll be covering that on the show today in detail with a developer talking about what is the intricacies of compiling a house like that in today's market and how do we meet zoning laws and what does that mean possibly for our community around there so stay tuned for that i want to dive into the market report for the week here now that we're rolling right into the second week of october you know the last seven days show a cooling which really is on par with the annual cooling of the fall where we've gotten out of the summer hot months and into the cooling winter months, where statistically on an annual basis or on a uh, national basis, home sales begin to slow. We're seeing that with our pending. Uh, our pending has now gone up to 16 days uh, median time on market, which again is great numbers. Anytime we're below 30 days on market, we're looking at a great hot market. This is for Oklahoma City, 10 miles around, which includes some parts of Edmond. We don't report specifically on the Edmond market, and I've had some requests this week to start reporting on the Edmond market, but we haven't done that just yet, simply because I don't spend too much time looking in detail at their market yet. We're going to bring on some, some more metrics for that in the future if we get more demand for it. But for right now, Oklahoma City is our metric that we follow. 16-day, that's a six-day rise over the last two weeks for pending. Now, when I talk about pending, I mean you've put the house on the market, you get an offer, you accept that offer, you've now gone pending, versus our sold days on market. These are houses that 30 days, usually 30 days ago, went pending, and now they've closed out. That still shows a figure of 10 days on market before being sold. So you can see we're tracking to that slowing time on market exposure. There's a lot of figures that go into that. Wouldn't worry too much about that. Just understand that we're still in that first two weeks being very important for your home as it's listed on the market to sell. Now, as far as the other metrics, our sold price per square foot coming in at $102.64, that being uh 
$2 per square foot less than the list price of $104.47. Our list price median coming in at $149 and our sales price median coming in at $149.9. Not much change there on the list price and sale price. In fact, there is no change there, just on the square foot price breakdown. And, you know, honestly, when I look at figures like this, this is where the data sometimes kind of breaks down. And it's not really a breakdown. It's just there was some negotiations here, for example, 311 Northwest 18th Street that was $230 per square foot and was ended up selling at $218 per square foot. So large kind of price uh, per square foot negotiations kind of throw that metric off. Um, as far as our average, again, coming in at $104 per square foot and our median, $102 per square foot. Higher than that median was last week coming in at that $98 per square foot. And that's largely due to a couple of high hitters coming off the market this week. One of which was 1 Northeast 2nd Street, unit number 409. That's an 1,190 square foot condo, upper condo, uh, as in not a ground floor unit. Uh, list price was 256 per square foot with a selling price of $254 per square foot. That stayed on the market three days, just showing how popular it is to live in the urban core now with everything increasing. For our news, most of our news this week you can find on okcrealestateshow.com, where we constantly report on developing stories. We have some great RSS feed syndication that brings several uh, news uh, sources that I have deemed as real estate worthy that would affect the market that I've kind of summarized there on the homepage, again, on okcrealestateshow.com. Chickens, 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 chickens. This is a topic of great debate here in Oklahoma City. It hasn't been in the last five years, but as Richard Mays, Mays from the Oklahoman brings up, it's now back on city council discussion. Ward 6 Councilwoman Joe Beth Hammond is part of the new, younger, more urban-oriented leadership elected to office just this year. She said people are thinking about chickens again. I'm very open to the discussion, and I've actually had a number of people reach out to me about the issue since I was sworn in. She said in an email, something I found interesting about knocking, knocking doors while I was campaigning is that I heard or saw chickens in every neighborhood of Ward 6, which tells me that many residents already enjoy them as pets, sources for food, as well as pest control. Why not? Is the public consensus there? Well, there's a lot of reasons why you might not want to have chickens, one of which is sanitary conditions, and the other is noise. Now, as per this writing, they still are looking at forbidding all roosters from being occupying any dwelling. And also, due to the Animal Protection Society, they're looking at wanting to, you to have at least one acre lot size or larger, which last time I checked was a very, very small percentage of the urban core who actually have an acre land or larger. So are we going to see chickens at every house? Not a chance, at least not this year. Okay, so getting to this issue of tiny homes and accessory dwelling units. I want to look at some numbers here 
on our statistics. Fred, who is a compiler of home index figures, I wanted to show this. This is always great to look at. This is the percent of home ownership rate for the United States. This coming all the way back, I think it was 1968 that they started keeping this metric up until 2019. You can see the ups and downs of the home ownership rates, this being the great housing bubble, a you know, nice bubble there, and then the collapse of the market, and then our stabilization, which has recently occurred. You can see that market correction happening there. And we're resting now at 64.1% home ownership rate in the United States. Interesting metric to look at. And just to keep in mind in the grand scheme of things, other metric I want to look at before we get into our guest today, the rental vacancy rate for the United States. That's rental properties that are currently sitting vacant. This coming in at 6.8% nationally in the United States. So if you put that on a metric of 6.8% of the year, you're going to look at being vacant and that's your national average. So if you're above or below um, our market, oftentimes I run the metric of 8% um, just to hedge on the side of caution. Here's kind of an interesting thing coming out of Zillow Economic Research. Renters most regret not earning equity and not being able to customize their home. Number one reason, renting prevents me from earning equity. Followed by number two reason, I can't customize or improve the property. Number three, my rent is too high. Number four, lacking private outdoor spaces. Number five, renting home instead of owning. Number six, the size is too small. And number seven, undesirable home finishes or layouts. That coming from Zillow Economic Research. For those watching the podcast on the YouTube, you can see the chart there. That available on OKC Real TV, where we stream the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show uh, via video. More young adults live with mom in her house. New Zillow Economic Research study showing that since 2004, which is when I graduated high school, to date me, 20% increase in adults living with their parents. 20.5%, that number figure is as of 2017. That, of course, was the, the uh, census that we had uh, on the housing census. So we should be getting some new figures on the community census. Unemployment rates for young adults are the lowest in over a decade, regardless of whether they live with mom. 10.3% unemployment rate for millennials who are living with mom. That down from almost 20% in 2010. So if you say it's the reason is my son can't find a job, well, statistically, that's not correct. Statistically, you're getting a better job or you have more opportunity, more employed. You've just got a higher housing cost. We're seeing that play in Los Angeles on the news. I experienced that myself going to Los Angeles. Speaking of homelessness, homelessness climbs faster when rent affordability reaches 22% and 32% thresholds. This figure coming again out of Zillow's research community 
This just shows that when you are renting and you spend more than a third of your income, you're much more likely in that community to be homeless. Obviously, the cost, but there's an increase at 22% and then an increase at 30%. This chart showing the real gross rent history for Oklahoma County, real gross rent being rent plus the average cost of utilities in the city all combined. This to do away with the, the potential pitfalls of some places, including water bills, some places, including power. So we look at the 2017 U.S. median at 1,012, with our Oklahoma state median coming in at 780, and the Oklahoma county median coming in at $834. Now, I want to get back to talking about some of these figures locally here. We actually reached out to the Chamber of Commerce here in Oklahoma City to try to warrant those numbers of people living with their parents still in Oklahoma City. And they didn't quite have those figures ready, but if they report back later, I'll get those to us. But in 2017, 40.58% of the population or of the housing in Oklahoma City was renters. 40.58. That's 4% higher than national average. In 2019, we saw just this year in July, homeless rates going up by 8%. Why? Well, maybe it has something to do with the per capita income coming in at $28,365 per year. One third of that income being $775 per month. Remember, that's 30% of your income, one third or 33.3% of your income going towards rent, $775 per month is the max you should be paying any more than that. Whereas our median, when we looked at our, our 2017 breakdown, which we've been on the rise, was coming in at $834 median. So it's no question, according to these statistics, why we're going to get homelessness reaching, as well as our family median income coming in at $51,581 total for a family. That's the median again. One third of their income being $1,432 rent per month. So now we see that metric making a little bit more sense when you look at families both working spouses or a uh, boyfriend and girlfriend working together to provide for their house, they are now able to afford a $1,400 rent or a mortgage payment, which that rounds out to be about $165,000 house, $160,000 house. Some uh, loan figures, depending on how much you put down, your interest rate, this on and so, you can get up to $175,000. Down payment assistance. How does that play in with our home sales? Well, if you've been listening to this show and you've been wanting to buy recently, you've got an opportunity for down payment free home purchase. The OHFA, Oklahoma Housing, I don't know what the F stands for. I, I forgot. Oh, the um, Oklahoma, I forget the OHFA. OHFA, which is a uh, a government-run organization here provides grants towards home buyers for their down payment. You can get anywhere between 
or 4% towards your total loan amount. What does it take to qualify for this? Well, you have to qualify for the, you have to make under the minimum or the maximum income requirements, which I just pulled this today of 2019. You can make in Oklahoma County up to $73,800 and still qualify for down payment assistance. That's 3.5 or 4% towards your total loan amount, which if you buy with an FHA loan, that is your down payment that's being paid for. So you only have your closing costs left. And I've been very successful in getting my buyers a closing cost paid for by a seller to a good degree to where you can get into a home for, in some cases, a couple hundred dollars. You've got to be purchasing a home in Oklahoma. The home has to be used as your primary residence. So investors, this is not for you unless you want to live there and maybe it's a duplex, rent out one of those units. You could do that. You've got to have, remember that maximum household income requirement of 73,800. And you also have to have a credit score of 640 or higher. You have to be a legal resident in the United States. And you also have to be able to qualify for a traditional mortgage. Don't worry about the down payment portion, but you've got to meet those requirements Basics being, if you're a W-2 employee, you've got to have that two-year of solid income in order to qualify. This segueing in to why it's important to offer affordable housing. With a growing trend of parent, kids staying in their parents' house and seniors moving back in with their, parent, with their, son, their children, Uh, The need for accessory dwelling units and small affordable housing has never been greater. So we take you to Pivot, who's doing a homeless outreach using tiny homes that are certified and inspected by city officials and have passed all the rigorous tests to get loans and insurance. Check this out. Welcome back. Well, we've followed the progress for months. Tiny homes helping a lot, helping homeless teens. Yeah, now for the first time, those homes are ready. And News 4's Lacey Dillette talked to a teenager who's moving in. It's new tonight. So we've been following the process from start to now finish. They had their big ribbon-cutting ceremony on Thursday morning, and we had the chance to speak to the first youth who will be moving into these tiny homes. Having a bed's going to be different. So I sleep on a couch right now. So I have a lot of back problems from it. It may sound like a small idea, but it's making a huge impact on teens who are homeless. Many who have aged out of foster care, like 19-year-old Carter. First went to the homeless shelter and then couch surfed for a while and now staying with my sister's adoptive family. His father is in prison and his mother passed away when he was only 10. Nonprofit Pivot has been pivotal in helping him with therapy, clothing, and now, as of Thursday, a place of his own to live. We're already really good at providing this permanent connection through the services that we provide, but housing was a missing link. The tiny homes are located right behind the Pivot offices by design. It allows convenience for youth to use their services when they need and offers life skills to transition into adulthood. Actually having to do things on my own and like figure out stuff like how to cook, (laughs) how to actually grocery shop and budget. There's no cap on how long a youth can live there, but rent slowly increases from $0 the first month to capping at $150 after six months. And being able to serve them in a way that again lets them show that they have the same talent, skills that any other young person in our community has. 
changing the vicious cycle of at-risk youth by showing them the care and support they need to thrive. It's really crazy that a lot, so many people here today have helped just make this dream a reality, and I'm so thankful for them. Lacey Lett, Oklahoma's News 4. Most of the cost and labor was covered with donations and volunteers. Pivot plans to build 85 of those homes. The next phase is set to start by the end of the year. We started with an idea. We had five acres of undeveloped land. Pivot owns 12 acres total here on their campus. And they came to me and they said, look, we want to apply for Impact Oklahoma uh, to get this seed grant, uh, maybe to do three tiny homes. Can you help us? Because there's I'm like, well, okay, so we got to get it rezoned. We've got it, what? One, we got to design a plan for the neighborhood, the whole village. And then we got to go get the zoning put in place for that. And then we've got to coordinate with civil engineering, which Brian Richards is here today. He's amazing, gave us all of his time. David Box with Williams Box Forshee gave us all of his time to do the zoning application, write the planned unit development, which is a lot of paperwork. It's just incredible, the outpouring of support. And then coordinating with the architect, Bill Silk, who's also here today, who designed these first three. And then we also have been coordinating with uh, a whole bunch of other architects for the future houses and those are all coming and we'll we'll hopefully have another ribbon cutting in the in the very you know next six months or so we'll we'll be out here with more more tiny homes but um so that I, yeah what does a developer do right i'm out just like talking and drawing and like hey this is what we need and and then sort of organizing like okay we need to go ask for this and that and then the teams have spread out and gone and gotten donations and so I, I, don't, one of the, I don't know what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the biggest questions a lot of folks have, especially investors that are investors in single family homes mm -hmm. and even some of our homeowners that watch the show, you know, how, how, how do you get by with a 400 square foot or a 300 square foot house? I mean, we've got zoning laws and all that. Actually, there are no zoning laws involving square footage of a home. That's against federal fair housing. Uh, and so when you deal, all right, we're going to talk technical here for a second. So tiny homes, all the TV shows involve tiny homes on wheels. I love tiny homes on wheels. I think it's so cool. I wish uh, Michelle Wonder could come walking up right now. She's probably here today. She knows all about tiny homes on wheels. And I have nothing to, bad to say about tiny homes on wheels. However, to build tiny homes on wheels you're in a whole other world of code and code inspection. A tiny home on wheels now is a recreational vehicle by building code. And if you want it to be inspected, you've got to go become a certified licensed recreational vehicle manufacturer to build a tiny home on wheels. You could also fall into the category of mobile home. Same thing. You've now got to go become a certified licensed mobile home manufacturer. Mobile home manufacturer and RV both fall into no man's land in terms of zoning. So now you can't go get, uh, you can't put a tiny home on wheels on a single family lot because you've just put a recreational vehicle on that lot or you've put a... Uh, Which is what the city doesn't want because how can you control tax dollars? I, I mean, there's no, well, there, there's then you've got transient status. It, you, yeah, right. It puts you in no man's land, but it also, the city can't inspect it because... If you're a licensed manufacturer of recreational vehicles or uh, mobile homes or manufactured housing, 
it's a whole different inspection process and the city no city that i'm aware of is equipped to go out and perform those inspections of did the plumbing get put in at the proper slope etc okay these are built traditional construction slab on grade conventional plumbing i mean everything about these is built just like every other house that got built in Oklahoma City. So it's a simple construction process and that's been my position is like if we're going to give people these this knowledge and these tools of like how to build, how to care for the buildings that they live in and and deal with, we've got to stick with like residential construction code. So the big thing that we have a huge opportunity here in Oklahoma City and other cities have got ahead of this. Certainly, uh, Portland is working hard on accessory dwelling units and um, other Canadian Huge cities. demand for senior citizens moving in with their kids and kids moving back in with their parents. We're, we, we've got one neighborhood uh, that we did the zoning on several years ago that allows for up to 50 accessory dwelling units built in the neighborhood. Well, most of the houses that'll get built in that neighborhood will be half million dollar homes and more, but the ability to have that accessory dwelling unit, I mean, it, right now where I'm at, I have three dogs, two cats, a salamander, and you know, one kid off in college and one about to leave. It'd be great to have a college kid, because we live in Norman, living in an accessory dwelling unit in my backyard that looked after the dogs and just, you know, kept the pack, the UPS packages. The way we live today as Americans with our pets, I mean, the numbers are astounding. Uh, the, the current single-family detached, single-use makes no sense. You know, so many of us work from home. Um, the more activity you have in a neighborhood and a given throughout the day, the more safe the neighborhood is. You know, we we should be designing and making it legal to have small businesses in uh, neighborhoods, you know, in home offices. We should make it easier and, and totally legal to put accessory dwelling units in every backyard in the whole city and let, unless a given neighborhood says absolutely not. That's how we would begin to get new investment into parts of our city that, you know, currently are lacking tremendous investment and again working at the scale of capital let's say we went down and well you've got you've got urban density issues when you start piling in multifamily dwell or, or land you know lots you've got traffic and that kind of thing and the other thing i think you guys are doing unique here is there's no real living room space here so if you want to have your friends over and watch a movie the idea is then to have a community center that everybody can kind of be at sure. could you comment a little bit on the community center concept well, um, interesting. I, I, um, I know she had, she had mentioned that, that the, the plan is to have, in this particular subdivision, to have kind of a community kitchen area, kind of a community concept to where the extra space that we normally have in homes would then be more of a community gathering place. Is that right? And we, We're going to build several b- buildings that do have those functions, laundry facilities scattered throughout. Uh, a handful of slightly larger ones for uh, supervisory, you know, folks that want that live here among the the, the tiny home. I mean, again, we're going to build 85 of them over time. Uh, 
we're not to the point that we need those facilities yet, but uh, but it's coming for sure. Have you been inside? Yeah, yeah, we looked through it. It's actually got great space inside. I think you know the the long the long shot is is if if you have a tiny community in a subdivision, the concern is always, well, what about the movie theater space or what about you know yeah. the the game rooms and stuff? And to kind of centralize that in a community where uh, I think the new push for at least millennials is they're always asking us as realtors to to have you know places they can walk to. Yeah. You know, the plaza here in the Oklahoma City has been so popular and the real estate so uh, high on per square foot price because there's things to do within walking distance. Right. So the concept that you're not doing everything in your house, that you're living and sleeping in your house and maybe cooking and then going out and spending your quality time with friends in a common area yeah. is more of a European concept, I would think. Well, a- absolutely. The the city becomes your living room, if you will. And, and I think that we're seeing, you know, the explosion of restaurants and, uh, you know, the food scene in Oklahoma City is awesome today. A lot of that's driven by exactly what you're talking about, you know, that those become the amenities and the social gathering spaces. There's a whole generation of Americans who had their own bathroom and their, or their own bedroom for sure and also very often their own bathroom. And so uh, this notion of like small living space, this is all I need. Um, and then, we, you know, go out into the world to be among uh, community. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Your 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 comment though about uh, density and traffic and accessory dwelling units. I, if I could sure. come back to that, yeah, for yeah. A second. So you didn't think about the Plaza District, and and so it's on 16th. Well, if you go down to 14th or 50 or 13th, and you said, oh, let's buy this house that just came up for sale, and uh, things aren't good on 13th. You know, like there's a whole or or maybe on 12th. There's still a lot of real estate that hasn't come back yet and and you're so if we bought it and we went and said well uh let's put a hundred thousand dollars into this and let's go get a bank loan to you know build this house up and the banker comes out and looks around and goes wait a second there's not another house on the street that's had any reinvestment in it uh and then look at the aerial photo those lots are 140 foot deep Yeah, 50 feet wide. There's a ton of room in the backyard, unutilized space. Very different than if you said, okay, I want to buy this house and I want to build, you know, an accessory dwelling unit in the backyard and put a renter in it, or I'm going to live in it while I fix up the other house, again, using muscle and effort and sweat. Now we're stretching those dollars and we're able to conceptualize it totally differently in terms of thinking about, uh, what we're what we're spending the money on? Well, we're spending the money on new construction in an area where you know that unit would rent for eight nine hundred dollars a month, etc. And because it's close to the amenity, now it's very walkable, and you aren't doubling traffic. You're actually creating a reduction in terms of the auto dependency of people like me who like drive in from Norman to go to the Plaza District. So the idea about accessory dwelling units and increasing density actually decreases traffic. It's very counterintuitive. Now it totally decreases traffic. I mean, once we get some actual urban density and people living in concentration in a European idea, 
then we can actually start walking everywhere we go instead of always jumping in our car and then heading off. And I think that's also the train system that we've just uh, initiated this last year is really helping out with that. And then also, I think, encouraging a lot of the millennials are ready to walk. They're, they're ready to bike. They're ready to engage in their community. This concept of a big SUV and then commuting 25 minutes into the city is going away. No, we're well, you, you know, we, we built the level building in uh, Deep Deuce and then the, the sec follow up building. No, I didn't know that. So, you know, we've got 325 apartments in, right in downtown. And our office is across the street above Anchor Down in the OKC shipping container right, development. Right, which is a, a very unique structure. I love to see that. It's really fun to office there and to look out our windows and just watch people walking and coming and going. Uh, so it's very true what you're talking about. And the densities are astounding. I mean, it's 142 units to the acre in our mosaic building. Level is not that dense. It's only like uh, 89 units to the acre. Whereas normal garden apartments are 16 to 24 units to the acre. <laughs> so, again, the misconception here. Ability, I, 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 totally. And we, 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 we could do so much for Oklahoma City by making it legal to have accessory dwelling units. We'd have more people coming to visit our city. We, you know, you'd see these things being used as... Uh, in-law suites or retirement, you know, and rather than, you know, have to go move mom or dad into, you know, a facility somewhere and move them into the backyard, into the tiny home, or it becomes a great Airbnb thing, or it becomes, you know, just an additional source of income. I think, I think the lodging tax and these kind of other lobbyists that are in town for the hotel industry and such probably have a lot of concern, and that we can get into. Hopefully on a later show, we can have you actually in the studio talking. You've got some great stuff. I know you've got a lot of people to talk to here today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for coming out. It's uh, really appreciate you all being here and uh, telling the story of Pivot and our, uh, our tiny home village. Thanks right. for your time. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. What's the biggest difference between a traditional single-family home and one of these? Well, outside of the obvious size, uh, there's a few things uh, that make code a little bit tricky on it. And so we have to work closely with the city of Oklahoma City as far as how we do some of the things to make sure we can pass code. Uh, Give me an example of something that would, would normally pass but doesn't pass in a tiny home with code. Um, so, for instance, there's some there's some plumbing codes, particularly around uh, the hot water tanks. And uh, when your hot water tank is uh, small enough to fit under a kitchen cabinet, uh, there's some challenges there. But the city's been really good with working with us as far as uh, making solutions that will still apply to our tiny homes. Now, can you use the IRC uh, code to, to build one of these, or do you have to make some changes? So that's a good question. So what we, we are under IRC. These are all being inspected under IRC, but because they're... There's uh, so many of them, and uh, they're all unit one, unit two, and unit three, so four. Uh, these are, uh, we have commercial permits on them, but they're being inspected under IRC. If you had to say one recommendation for someone after you've been involved in these, what would you say for those that are going to start building these to look out for? Uh, stay away from the lofts. Uh, so while I, while I mentioned us working with the city of Oklahoma City and them been, the staff been really great as far as helping us uh, get this project going, uh, one of the things that we determined really early on is, is, is if we were going to have this flexibility and this movement, uh, we'd have to move away from uh, the, the typical lofts that you see that accompany a lot of the tiny homes. That makes it really challenging for code when you've got you know the ladder and the open space. and it, It's a little bit of a challenge that we haven't quite figured out yet. So until we get something uh, worked out there, we, we, you won't see any 
pull-offs in these. Interesting. That makes sense, yeah, because yeah, and then you got the short square foot. And Now, as far as did you have any kind of appraisers involved in this that made any comments? No, we didn't need to have any appraisals on these since we're not selling them, so that was pretty good. Sure. I can't wait to show Lee Caesar and a few other appraisers some of this video of these things and see what they think about uh, I'm this. I'm curious to see what they think as well. Cool. So. All right, well, thanks for talking to us today. Absolutely. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit okcrealestateshow.com.